is with us tonight. He has served as the senior minister at Shawnee Trail since January of 08. Uh, he, before going to Shawnee Trail, he had been in, in, at the Mayfair Church in Oklahoma City and the Memorial Road Church uh, in Edmond. Uh, he is a graduate of OCU uh, with a Bachelor of Science in Bible and a Master of Arts in Family Ministry. Uh, he is married to Katie, who is gracing our presence tonight, as well as three children who I'll let you meet later on. I won't embarrass them by introducing them. But uh, Seth, come and talk to us tonight. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, it is great to be here. Thank you for having us, Doug. Thank you for inviting us to come uh, and be a part of this summer series. Uh, I have a lot of um, kind of distant connections to this church. I think very highly of this church, although none of you know who I am. Uh, I know who some of you are. I went to school with some folks here, uh, have worked with some of your staff members, and uh, um, the Branch family was a family that was uh, uh, meaningful to us as we were younger. And they may not even remember me, but we remember them. Uh, they meant a lot to us as a young married couple. And so I'm thankful to be here, and I'm excited uh, to get to talk about this topic. But what I'm most excited about is that it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? That's right. It's August, where everyone's excited about August, right? It's 105 degrees at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, it's just great. Your kids went back to school today, so for parents, some of you are, it's the most wonderful time of the year for you. But it's the most wonderful time of the year because we are 10 days away from the start of college football season. Anybody excited about college football season? I see an A&M shirt over here, hoping that Jimbo can finally work his magic and uh, somehow get the Aggies over the hump in the SEC. How many UT fans do we have in the room? All right, Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman have been hard at work this year, uh, doing important work to get the horns down symbol eliminated from college football. That's really going to help them this year win the big one, right? But it's that time of year when every college football fan is excited and, and hopeful about their team. Right now, August 14th, even the Aggies have a chance this year, right? <laughs> but I hate to burst your bubble. And I don't really care what team you are a fan of, unless you're a fan of two teams, I kind of hate to burst your bubble. Because everybody pretty much agrees, unless you're a diehard fan of a certain team, all the experts, all the TV news guys, the ESPN, the Fox Sports, everybody agrees, come January 13th, 2020, it's most likely going to be Alabama and Clemson playing again in the national championship game, right? You got Dabo Sweeney, you got Nick Saban, they're gonna be the ones, most likely, that are gonna be playing in that championship game again, right? And why is it that certain teams like Alabama for the past 10 years and Clemson for the past four or five years, why is it that certain teams 
always seem to win more games than everybody else, always seem to play for and win more championships than everybody else. Why is it certain teams are always better than everybody else? Well, the easy answer is, well, it's, it's the players, right? They just have better players than everybody else. And that's absolutely true, or at least it's partially true. But I believe uh, something that I heard Colin Cowherd say recently on his radio program. He said at the college level, what it really comes down to, what separates the great teams from everybody else, is that the great teams have the best coaches. That's what makes a difference in college football. The best coaches are able to recruit the best players because the best players want to play for the best coaches because they know if we have the best coach, we can get better and then we can play in the NFL. Now we all know in the NFL it's all about money. I'm just gonna go wherever I get paid the most, right? But in college, it's about getting better. And to get better, you got to have great coaches. Well, that's not only true in athletics. I would argue that's true in life as well. To get better, to reach one's fullest potential, really in any arena of life, you need to be coached up. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes this evening. But before we get into that, you've been in this series all summer called Life Together. And you have been looking at what Scripture has to say about how we are to relate to one another as the family of God. You've been looking at the Scriptures that are commonly referred to as the one another passages. And you've covered a number of those topics and a number of those passages already. And so we're going to get into one specific one tonight. But before I get in... To my topic, I just want to remind you of what I believe is the one another that sums up all the other one another's. And that's simply the command to love one another. Love one another. And what I believe is if we can just get that one right, if we can just do that, if we can really love one another then all of these other things you've been talking about all summer long will just very easily fall into place. But if we don't get that one, we're kind of wasting our time talking about these other things. Wouldn't you agree? So let me encourage you this evening. Uh, one thing I like to do with my church is have a memorized scripture. So I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture that I want to encourage you to memorize this week. And it's not our topic tonight. Rather, it's love one another. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I would argue this passage of Scripture needs to be buried deep in your heart and in your mind because it's the basis of everything else that you've talked about all summer long. All of the other one another's, including the one we're going to talk about tonight, are simply practical ways to apply loving one another. So I want to encourage you to memorize this scripture because scripture memorization is a catalyst for spiritual growth in your life. If you can get God's word deep in your heart, it will begin to uh, grow in your life and produce fruit in your life. And I believe if you can plant the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12 deep in your heart, the odds of this church loving one another deeply Go up and up and up. So I want to ask you to just say this verse with me out loud 
a couple of times. Let's read it together. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Say it again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. One more time. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. That right there is the key to everything we're going to talk about tonight. If we don't have that, what we're going to talk about is a waste of time. So I want to encourage you, make that your goal this week, to memorize 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now let's get to our topic tonight. Our topic tonight is found actually in multiple scriptures. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 15 verse 14, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul mentions what I think is an often overlooked but really important way for us to express our love for one another. And basically what he instructs us to do is coach one another up. He says you need to coach one another. That's not the words he used, but it's the gist of what he's saying when he says in both of those passages to admonish one another. Admonish one another. Now that word admonish in the original language uh, is, is, uh, carries with it the idea of instructing or correcting one another. And that's really what great coaches do, right? A great coach corrects the bad habits of his player. He teaches him the right things to do and the right way to do those things, right? That's what a great coach does. And that's what Paul says we ought to be doing for one another within the family of God. We ought to be coaching one another up. Now, if you've been here all summer long, you may be thinking, hold on, there was a guy who was here a month ago who said we're supposed to accept one another, right? And, and Paul says that as well, to accept one another. And we are to accept one another without reservation, to fully accept one another. But Paul wants us to know that we can accept one another and still help one another grow. That if we really love one another, we're not just going to say, hey, whatever you do is fine. We're going to want to help each other become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so he says, your job is to correct and instruct and admonish one another. The truth is, every single one of us, if we're honest, we have some behaviors and we have some attitudes that need to be challenged, Right? some behaviors and attitudes that need to be corrected, some behaviors and attitudes that need to be developed more, right? Every single one of us have that going on in our lives. Now, the problem for most of us is some of those behaviors, some of those attitudes, not all of them, but some of them are kind of blind spots in our lives. We don't see them as clearly as we ought to see them. And too often, it requires a moment of colossal failure before we're actually able to recognize and admit that we have this problem area in our life. This underdeveloped place that needs to be fixed or changed or adjusted. But I believe, and I think you believe as well, in the family of God, we need to care about one another enough. We need to love one another enough to help each other recognize and correct those problems before 
things come crumbling down around us, right? Before everything blows up. We ought to care enough, we ought to love one another up, uh, enough to coach each other up. But that raises a question. If you're like me, it raises a question. The question I ask immediately is, well, does that just mean that any old person can go around pointing out all the faults in everybody else? Could just anybody go around and, and try to correct everybody else's behavior? Well, in one way, kind of, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean everybody should, right? So who should go around correcting other people's behavior? Who should be admonishing other people? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about a person who is best qualified to coach other people or to admonish other people. And he talks about this, these people in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. And here's what he says. He says, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct one another or competent to admonish one another. So Paul says to this group of people here, I believe they're competent to instruct and admonish others. But what is it about these people that he says, this is why I believe they can handle this or why they should be about this business. Well, let me point out two things that he says. First, he says these people are full of goodness. They're full of goodness. Now, does that mean that they're perfect? Well, no, right? Obviously, it doesn't mean that. But what that does indicate is that they take their spiritual development very seriously. And that there is evidence of transformation taking place in their own life. You see, the reality is, if we are not growing in our own walk with Christ, we're not really in a position to tell others how to grow in their walk. Right? Now, that's not to say you may not have some kind of insight to pass along. You very well may. The problem is you're, you're probably lacking credibility. For instance, if a guy who, who is well-known for just kind of blowing up at his wife and kids every time something doesn't go his way comes to me and says, hey, I want to talk to you about your temper, how likely do you think I would be to take that person seriously? Now, that's probably a fault in mine, right? I'm probably not spiritually mature enough to, to keep his hypocrisy from drowning out his message. But what about another guy who at one time in his life was kind of known for having a bad temper, but over years he has developed self-control and now he's a guy who almost never gets angry at all? How likely would you be to listen to somebody like that? Yeah, the odds are much greater. Now, nobody still likes to have their flaws pointed out. But man, if I see a guy who has is, who is been where I am and has come where I want to be, boy, I'm much more likely to listen to somebody like that, right? You see, to be effective at coaching, we need to take very seriously the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. You've heard him say this before. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a two-by-four in your own eye, right? You hypocrite. 
First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus and Paul say, hey, we need to be helping one another, correcting, coaching one another, but we need to look inside first. I need to clean up my house before I go telling somebody else how to handle their house, right? The believers in Rome were, were good, but they weren't just good behaviorally. Their internal motivation was also good. The word that's translated goodness in this passage indicates that it, they had this strong love for one another's well-being. They wanted what was best for one another. And so before we ever set out to correct or to instruct another person, we need to take a very uh, a long moment and assess what it is that's driving us to offer correction. If our desire is to embarrass or to shame or to manipulate or to one-up that person, we're probably going to do more damage than we do good, right? In all likelihood, the person who's on the receiving end of our admonition is probably going to become defensive and angry, and it might devastate the relationship that we have. So for people to hear our concerns, to be open to our suggestions, to grow from our instruction, man, they need to first know that our greatest concern is their well-being. That our top priority is, is what's best for them. They have to know we love them. Remember, we said at the beginning, admonishing is simply a practical application of loving one another. And that's why we... We have to build meaningful relationships with our brothers and sisters before we ever begin to, to attempt to coach one another up. Now, having said that, all of us know that there may be times in our lives when it's necessary to admonish a person we may not know all that well. And when that's the case, I would encourage you to just double down on practicing what Paul preaches in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. That's where he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect of the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You ever heard somebody on occasion say something along these lines? They say, you know, I'm, I'm just all about the truth, Right? I'm just going to tell them what they need to hear, no matter if they like it or not. You ever heard somebody who kind of has that attitude? Truth is very, very important. But sometimes it's not the message that keeps people from changing. Sometimes it's the messenger. And you can have all of the truth in the world on your side, but if you're a jerk... Right? If you're a jerk to your kids, or if you're a jerk to your employees, or if you're a jerk to your fellow church members, they're probably not going to respond very well to your correction. On the other hand, have you ever heard, talking about football players, have you ever heard a, an athlete say about his coach, man, I would run for a brick wall for that guy. You ever heard that? You know, Nick Saban, he's the coach of Alabama. That's what his players say about him. And if you listen to a uh, a, one of their practices, if you watch a video of one of their practices, man, he's a mean old dude. He's yelling and he's cussing and he's in their face. And yet every single one of them says, I love that man. I would do anything for that man. You know why they feel that way? Not because he has a lot of great truth. 
but because they know he loves them and he would do anything for them. And so they're willing to do anything for him. Admonishment will do very little good unless we are good. We have to live good lives and we have to genuinely care about others if we're ever going to be effective in coaching them up. The second reason Paul believed that the Christians in Rome were competent to instruct or to admonish one another, he says, is because they were filled with knowledge. Not only were they good, but they were filled with knowledge. And the statement indicates that the believers in Rome knew the Word of God. They knew the Word of God, and that's so incredibly important because admonishment must be based on the truth of God's holy word and not on our personal opinions or preferences. When I feel the need or the desire to admonish a person based on my personal preferences or my opinion, that's because I want him or her to be like me. Right? But that's not the goal, right? The, the goal is not to create many Seths or many Dugs or many Yous. The goal is to create people who look and live like Jesus Christ. And if that's the goal, that demands that we know what Jesus taught and we know how Jesus lived. To put in, in kind of coach lingo, this book, our Bibles, this is our playbook, right? This is the X's and O's of how to live as the people of God. And we need to be studying our playbook on a daily basis. My son Charlie is here. He's 12. He loves sports. He plays football and uh, baseball. And I've spent a lot of time sitting on the sidelines watching sports over the last four or five years. And I have observed that there are many coaches who know enough about a particular sport to point out what is going wrong, but they don't know nearly enough about it to actually help an athlete improve. Let me give you an example. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting next to a baseball diamond and a struggling pitcher can't seem to get the ball over the plate and his coach very helpfully yells, just throw strikes. Try to be, I try not to say anything at those games. Every once in a while, I'll be like, Charlie. And I'll kind of say something, you know, but I try to be very quiet. But what I want to do when the coach says, hey, just throw strikes, I want to go, he never thought of that. You ought to be coaching in the major leagues. That's genius. Come on, just throw strikes. He knows he needs to throw strikes. That's not the problem. The problem is he needs somebody who can look at him and see what he can't see and say, hey, buddy, here's what's wrong. Here's what you need to fix, right? You're opening up too early. or You're not driving with your legs. He needs somebody who can say, here's what I see that you're not seeing. Let me help you fix it. Here's my point. Most of us, even though sometimes our weaknesses and our problems can be a blind spot, most of us probably don't need people to tell us what to do or what to stop doing. We, we kind of already know, right? What we need is somebody with a biblical insight to show us how. People who struggle with worry 
don't need somebody to come up and say, hey, man, don't worry. Right? <laughs> what they need is to be taught how to trust fully in God. People who struggle with their finances don't need to be told, hey, you need to get on a budget. What they need is somebody to teach them biblical principles for handling money God's way. We're going to have a very difficult time helping one another grow if we are not filled with the knowledge of God's Word. If you're looking for motivation to, to read your Bible every day, to meditate on Scripture, let me encourage you, if for no other reason, but there's hundreds of other reasons, but if for no other reason... So you can help others. So you can coach others up. You need to be in the Word of God every single day. Like the believers in Rome, we must be competent to instruct one another. That's what we're to do for one another. But for our own development, for our own spiritual growth, we must also be open to admonition and instruction, right? Yeah, and I was going to say, and here's where you're saying, why don't you just sit down, buddy? Why don't you just end right there, right? No, we absolutely need to be open to admonition and instruction in our own lives, and that's not easy, is it? Nobody likes for somebody else to come and point out their weaknesses. There's a natural tendency to get defensive, to be angry, to argue, and so it's so very important for us to remember that instruction is not rejection. Instruction is actually an act of love. It's an act of someone who actually cares about you. Now, there are exceptions to that statement. But by and large, those who are willing to offer instruction, they do so because they genuinely care. They genuinely want what's best for you. And they're taking a kind of a big risk, right? When they step out and say, hey man, I've noticed something in your life that I'd, I'd love to talk to you about. That's a big risk, right? That's a person who cares about you. Now, you know who doesn't care about you? It's the person who talks behind your back instead of who talks to you. Now, they may spare your feelings because they, you know, avoid a difficult conversation with you. But in the long run, they're doing absolutely no good whatsoever. In fact, they're doing more harm to you than good. The person who confronts you is the person who loves you. So how should we receive admonition? Let me give you three things very quickly and then we'll be done. First, we must be open to the admonition regardless of who it comes from. And that's hard. That's hard. You remember Numbers 22? God used a donkey to admonish Balaam. And sometimes he still does that today, right? <laughs> and so just because the person who is offering instruction doesn't have his stuff all together, or maybe he's a jerk, that doesn't mean what he has to share isn't true. When we are, allow our pride to get in the way or our spiritual immaturity, as I talked about earlier, when we allow that to get in the way of being able to receive admonition, we rob ourselves 
of a great blessing. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20 says, Those who listen to instruction will prosper. The proverb writer again, chapter 19, verse 20 says, Receiving instruction is actually the key to wisdom. He says, Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. We've got to be open to admonition, no matter who it comes from. We've got to listen to it. But secondly, we have to look at Scripture as the final authority. We've got to look at Scripture as the final authority. Not all coaching is good coaching. You know that from Little League, right? <laughs> Sometimes people give instruction that frankly does more damage than it does good. You ever had somebody instruct you or someone you know, hey man, just do whatever makes you happy. There's very little instruction that's more damaging than that, right? That, that could be more wrong than that. That's horrible advice. But no matter how much you may look up to a person who is instructing you or how much you may believe in what they have to say, you must always take the time to make sure that their counsel aligns with the teaching of Scripture. Remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. He says, see how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. All your words are true. And all your righteous laws are eternal. If any kind of admonition that you receive from anybody goes against Scripture, then obviously you need to reject that advice completely, right? Now, if Scripture is neutral on the subject, if you search Scripture and you say, man, Scripture doesn't really talk about this at all, well, then you have an option. You can take it or leave it. For instance, there's some folks in my church who would probably admonish me, Seth, you need to preach shorter sermons. They're very ungodly people in my church. <laughs> but they may, they may admonish, you need to preach shorter sermons. So I would go to Scripture, and I'd say, okay, what does Scripture say? And I said, well, Scripture says preach the Word, but it doesn't say how long to preach. So I guess pack a lunch, buddy. We're going to be here for a while. That's right. That's right. Paul preached till midnight. We're not going to be that long. <laughs> but Scripture has to be the final authority on it all. And then finally, first, let, let me review. We've got to be open regardless of who it comes from. We've got to look to Scripture as the final authority. And then number three, and none of those first two things mean anything unless we do number three, and that is we must act on valid instruction. We need to act on valid instruction instruction what makes an athlete great is not the ability to listen to good advice what makes an athlete great is the ability to put great coaching into practice to do it on the field and the same is true for life change we need to actually act on valid scripture-based admonition and I, I want to say this, if you're unsure how to do it, if somebody comes, if Doug comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed this about your relationship or this, you know, if, if you don't know exactly how to act on it, ask the person who is admonishing you to help you figure
figure out some practical ways that you need to change. Let me give you an example of this. A couple of years ago, we had a, a, a man who was visiting our church. He'd been coming for just a couple of weeks. And one Saturday, I got an email from this guy, and it was a scathing email. And I was like, who is this guy? But it was, it was, it was kind of a harsh email about how I needed to be a better encourager. And I, I didn't hardly know this guy at all, and I was very taken aback, so I immediately called him, and, and uh, I said, man, I, I got this email, and I'm, I'm not really sure what to do with it. And so we talked, and here's what happened. First, never admonish somebody by email. <laughs> Can we just agree on that? That's a terrible way to do it, right? You can't, you can't read tone and, and all that stuff. And so I called him, and within... 15 seconds, it was very clear that the tone that I got from the email was not the tone he intended, or he'd cooled off, I don't know, maybe, but it was not at all the tone of the conversation. And it was clear, again, after about 30 seconds, that this advice was coming from a place of care. It was clear that it certainly aligned with what Scripture would want me to do, but until we really started talking, I... I wasn't sure exactly what he was asking me to do, what change I was supposed to make. And so finally I said, hey, can you kind of help me understand what you're telling me to do? And he said, yeah, let me tell you a story. Let me give you an example. And he told of an experience that he had had previously where um, someone, a person in, in a position like mine, had responded in a very, very encouraging way that was just very meaningful and very inspiring to the people who were involved. And as soon as he told that story, I thought, ah, I see what you want me to do. I, I, I get it. And it wasn't that I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't trying to be encouraging. I didn't, I didn't realize I was missing an opportunity. And until he pointed it out, until he showed me what I needed to be doing, I didn't know I was missing a chance to grow and to be better and to encourage people the way I really would love to encourage people. And I really think most people who are willing to, to take that step of courage and offer admonition would be just as willing. Let me say that again. I think anybody who has the courage to admonish you would also be willing to walk with you and to help you take the steps that you need to take to make changes if, you're, if you just ask them. Just say, man, I appreciate you doing that. Can you help me with this? Guys, coaching is in today, right? We got life coaches, we got swing coaches, we've got uh, you know, singing coaches, any area of life, you can go out and you can find a coach, right? People recognize in order to get better, it's good to have somebody help me see my blind spots and help me know how to improve. But why is it for some reason when it comes to growing spiritually, most of us have just decided, hey, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to go it alone on this. Guys, that's not the way it's supposed to be in the family of God. It's not how God intended it. 
So here's my second challenge for you this week. I challenge you to memorize 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Here's my challenge for you this week when it comes to this idea of admonishing one another. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put some thought into this. And then I want you to invite someone that you know who really, really cares about you. It may be your spouse. It may be a parent. Maybe somebody at this church, it may be a very close friend, but I want you to invite somebody that you know who really cares about you to just share with you how he or she senses that you need to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, I want to challenge you to give somebody permission to coach you up. And I may never see you again, but I'll make this bet with you. Six months from now, you will not regret that you did it. You'll be so incredibly thankful. Guys, thanks for having me tonight. God bless you.